Mother Movement would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded, the Yorta Yorta and Darawal Nations, and pay our respects to Elders both past and present. Hello and welcome to The Mother Movement. This is a podcast by mums for mums, where we dive deep into the incredible world of motherhood. As mothers ourselves and passionate health professionals, we understand the unique challenges and joys that come with raising children. Each week, we'll bring you captivating discussions with experts in the field of motherhood. So, no matter where you find yourself on this beautiful, sometimes bumpy road, remember that you're never alone on this journey. Together, let's dive in and celebrate each other as we navigate the joys and challenges of motherhood. Welcome to the very first episode of the Mother Movement podcast. I'm your host, Bree, and physiotherapist dedicated to promoting the well-being of mothers and their little ones. Today, we have our incredible team of experts with us, Ali, an accredited practicing dietitian, and Alex, a psychologist. Hello. Hi, Bree. Today, we thought we would let you get to know us a little bit by answering some questions about our journeys into motherhood. So let's kick it off with Ali. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family away from work? Hello, so I'm Ali. I'm the dietitian with the Mother Movement. But aside from that, I live with my husband and three kids. Um, we live down in Jerringong, which is just two hours south of Sydney, little beach town. Actually, live up the road from Bree. That's how we, me and Bree know each other. I've got three kids. Evie is six and a half. Patty's four and a half, and Remy is two, almost two and a half. I guess I had pretty what sort of led me down the wanting to do a bit more sort of pregnancy and postnatal stuff is I did have quite difficult pregnancies with all of them. And in terms of from like being unwell, pretty much, I'm just not good at it, pretty much being unwell, but then also, you know, all that fun stuff like sinusitis and nosebleeds and pelvic falling apart and all the, all the pain. But yes, it just sort of got me more interested in the um, pregnancy and postnatal space. At the moment, because I've got quite young kids still, I work, uh, only work two days because that's the, my little ones are only in care two days. So yeah, at the moment I'm mostly caring for my kids, being a mum, but then yeah, really enjoying getting back into work, um, especially working with other mums. Do that as well. You used to work in the NT, is that right? I did. I worked mostly in big hospitals in Sydney, but then we did a year out in Alice Springs where I worked, yeah, for NT Health, going out into the remote Indigenous communities, which was amazing. Yeah, I really loved that. And I actually got to work a lot with mums and babies there, especially with like anemia and those sorts of things. So I loved that. I'd love to hear more one day about your experience with traditional Aboriginal medicine up there. And that would be so fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We'll leave that for another another in-depth one. As a mum yourself, what was one of the most beautiful and memorable aspects of the newborn phase for you, Ali? And I want to like preface this, that this is, I'm very lucky and that my, my sort of most memorable parts of newborn phase is that I just loved it and I know that doesn't come naturally to everyone and and there is and or immediately but I did with all three of my babies I had that really immediate intense like such intense love um and I remember being really worried when I was pregnant with my second like how could I possibly love him as much as I loved my daughter but it just happened again and then again with my third so I was extremely lucky so my yeah Best memories are those like, yeah, the first smiles, all those newborn cuddles, the skin to skin. And it really surprised me and and everyone around me because I wasn't a physical touch kind of person before becoming a mum. I was very, yeah, it wasn't my love language, physical touch. But then as soon as I became a mum, I was like, like attached to them all the time and co-sleeping and, oh, it was just, yeah, it really surprised everyone, including myself. 
yeah, not saying that it was all rainbows. My kids didn't sleep, but I've kind of forgotten that part. And so, yeah, so I guess this is more about what I remember. And that's, that's really what I do remember is just that connection um, and how beautiful it was. So interesting what you say about that initial connection, because I think I found with Sunny with my first that um, that initial connection wasn't quite there. Like it was almost like I went into shock when I, I first gave birth. I just couldn't connect that actually, oh my goodness, this is my child. Whereas Ooh. with my second, I felt like my body had then registered that, okay, when you have a baby, it then becomes your child. So I had that instant connection. Like I feel like with my first, it just, my brain had to make those pathways. And with the second it was like, oh, okay, I know what I'm doing now and I've got that love straight away. I feel like that's really common as well. Like I feel like a lot of mums, it's a slow burn or it takes a little bit longer. What did you find, Alex? So essentially for me, my experience was very different to Ali's and probably more similar to yours, Bree. I guess in the first sort of six weeks after Amber was born, I was studying. And so my attention was actually divided and rightly or wrongly looking back it probably did impact on my mental health during that time I didn't have that instant connection with her that combined with the fact that I actually birthed Amber during the height of the pandemic I was under all that we're all, all obviously under all that stress but living in Melbourne at the time that increased stress um, that all of those restrictions put on us plus the fact that I was so focused on finishing uni I almost didn't allow myself the emotional space to bond with her um, and I didn't feel that instant love or connection and so my start to I guess my relationship with her was a lot different and so I guess it'd be really interesting to see how that is different this time around with baby number two with like sort of what you said Brie about your body almost knows what's coming and so I wonder if it'll be different for me this time around I hope so I, I guess I just wanted to validate the different experiences too because like Ali explained you know some women do have that instant connection and you know that instant oxytocin release and all of a sudden everything's driving towards that special bond or like yourself and I Brie where it was a bit more of a, a slow burn and so yeah I, it'd be interesting to sort of experience that personally second time around whether it's going to be the same or whether it'll be different I just remember it looking at this little baby going oh my gosh well, she's mine and not recognizing that feeling in myself and you sort of start to guess second guess yourself like oh is this normal something wrong with me and I think yeah it probably did impact my mental health looking back on it now but knowing that it is a valid and um, commonly experienced process for a lot of a lot of women so yeah thank you for asking Ali that sounds really tough yeah it was tough without those external pressures that you had last time this time yeah I wonder if it is different yeah, I hope so. Um, and I wonder it'll be hard, harder in a different way this time around. I sort of go into a bit more detail about the sort of person that I am um, in a moment, but knowing how much I define myself by my career, whether the fact that I won't be studying and I won't be working this time around at all, I wonder whether it'll be easier or whether it'll be harder. I'm anticipating harder, so I'm preparing myself <laughs> for harder. And then if it's easier, it'll be a win. Thank you so much for sharing that, Alex. It's um, it's so interesting. I think it's so important to validate those feelings too because I almost didn't want to talk about it for a little while when I didn't have those feelings of connection because I was, I guess I was probably a bit embarrassed almost or that I just thought, oh, is something wrong with me that 
I'm not getting this connection that everyone talks about. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing. It's nice to. That's okay. Like, I mean, like one of the amazing things about this program is that we can actually break down those, um, the stigma and the misconception and the shame um, because we're three women with three vastly different experiences, but also a lot of commonalities too. So hopefully um, other women and birth parents listening can relate to some of our stories as well. Reflecting on your own experiences, Ali, um, what were some of your most challenging aspects of the postnatal period and how did you navigate through them? Probably in the immediate, uh, straight after um, sort of all three births, I tend to get more on the side of oversupply, which is, I guess it's a good problem to have, but in the first few weeks, it's it's absolute agony and it leads to engorgement. And I had like proper bleeding nipples. Like I had, I remember this one moment, actually, this was my third baby where my my mom was there and she's she's looking at me and my nipples got this huge scab on it and she's like what are you gonna do I'm like well I have I have to feed the baby like and I was so engorged that there was no way around it anyway and then it just like it just ripped off and she's and it was but like I just had to like grit my teeth and kind of anyway so that's a really gory picture for you but that happened with all three I kind of had um and I had I did have help with lactation consultants and and it always calmed down, but the first sort of 10 days, two weeks especially, sometimes I couldn't even lie down. They were so full and they actually got encouraged not to do any expressing because it would, they were just so responsive that they would just start making more and more and more milk. So I kind of just had to wait wait it out. But I think, yeah, like ice packs and hydrogel discs, all those things were um, really helpful and cabbage leaves, the old old style. And then also with my first baby, Evie, I had a quite a significant postpartum, uh, postpartum hemorrhage. But the problem was that it was like a slow, and I didn't even know this was a thing, but it was like a slow bleed over the next sort of 12 hours coming out in like giant clots. But because it was my first baby, I thought that was normal. And then suddenly I started fainting the next day, like every time I tried to get up and then they did my bloods. And I think my hemoglobin had dropped from like 125 to 80 in sort of one night and so they're like oh that's probably about a liter and a half to two liters and so yeah but I guess I don't know what happened but they didn't give me any iron um, infusions or anything and so they just put me on iron supplements and sent me home and so you can imagine I'm a first-time mum. my husband actually had to go back to work he just started a new job so he had no parental leave so he went back literally I got back from hospital and thankfully my parents like tagged him as he brought us home and he went off to work and, um, but yeah, we lived up flight of stairs with no lifts and I couldn't even walk down the stairs. I was just so anemic. And so it was really, it made it really hard. And I thought that was also what was normal. Like, so I didn't really question it because I'd never, I'd never given birth before. I thought maybe this is what it felt like. Um, but yeah, so I really struggled because it kept me housebound for quite a while and took quite a while for like the iron supplements to work. And, and then they have their own side effects and things, but, um, yeah, so I guess that was a huge challenge for me. And then second time around when I didn't have that, I was like, oh, so it's not normal to pass out every, you know, every time you get up. And, yeah, so it was a vastly different experience the second and third times. Your new mums should not be sent home that anemic. It's just not safe. But thinking about what you just said then, like if anybody from any other type of medical intervention, surgery, whatever, had have had such a significant bleed, Mm. I really question whether they would have been sent home without any adequate oh, no way. transfusion or anything like that. I just feel like the care for parents and uh, new mm. birth parents and mothers is so absent in some realms. And the fact mm. too that you poor thing, you went home um, and your husband, you know, circumstantially wasn't able to be there. It must have been so tough being a first-time parent too. We think it's kind of just part of it and sort of told to soldier on and and eventually it, it like obviously it improved, but it took a long time. 
what were um, some specific support systems or resources that you found helpful during um, your pregnancy or postnatal journeys? During my pregnancy, I did do the midwife group practice. I went down that path um, for my first two and then just the general clinic in my third one. But I, I could not speak highly enough about those in terms of like the midwife practice, in terms of the support you get during your pregnancy and then in that sort of first few weeks afterwards. You can call them at any hour with the silliest questions. They never make you feel silly. And anytime you're worried, you can come straight in and they check you. And it's, yeah, it was a really, I did feel really supported in that system. Um, and even when I did have all those issues with the anemia afterwards, they 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 actually work. Like when I finally was like, right, I should probably call them. They were there straight away and helping me and telling me, you know, go to the GP and, and helping me out, out with some other things. So that, that I found that a really supportive system because they come to your home afterwards for the first two weeks after. And then, and then from there, mother's groups cannot speak highly enough. Um, just that benefit of being able to talk to other people who are going, I should say parents groups, um, of other people going through the exact same thing that you are at the same time. And the only people that, you know, you don't feel ridiculous asking those really weird specific questions that we do ask around newborn poos and newborn snot and newborn, you know, all those things. And you've got other people there who are like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. And it's just really validating. And even, and that's why the group is good. Cause you know, you might have one mom in the group that has a completely different experience to you, but there'll be at least one or two others that are going through exactly what you are. Um, and yes, and you can kind of band together and problem solve together and cry together and laugh together. And it's, yeah, I found that really, really nourishing for my soul. <laughs> Got me through. I would it. agree with that. I mean, I'm yeah. nearly two years on and um, because I moved like from Metro to regional Victoria, I actually have two mother's groups and still connected in with both. And I think they're so valuable to, again, I want to say validating that experience of new parents during that time. Um, Ali, can I ask you a question? Um, this could be my like use of different language, but your midwife group practice, oh, is yeah. that the same as like your maternal child health nurse visitation or is that something extra that you did perhaps through private or your GP or is it shared no. care? Can you tell me a bit about that? In New South Wales, I don't know what it's like in the other states, that is the public program for low-risk pregnancies where that's from from the moment you become pregnant, you can then go through the midwife group practice, which means you have the same midwife through your whole pregnancy and hopefully for your birth. In one of mine, it was a, it was a different one because she happened to be on leave that day, Which, but they're very yeah clued in on your case and it's um but yeah it's a really nice continued continued care model um and then yes that same midwife will then come to see you after the birth as well I was going to ask as well I know in New South Wales because I don't know about you Ali but I myself and a few others have found it difficult to actually know where to find mother's groups and I know in New South Wales the you're normally your maternal child health nurse after birth can help link you in with um your mother's group but sometimes you have to actually specifically ask them for it um what did you find Alex down in Victoria what's the easiest way to link in with a mother's group yeah so I was pretty persistent and pushy about this because I know that with we are obviously social animals social beings and so we need a social group around us and so um one of the things that I really endeavored to do was to make sure that I was connected in with a mother's group so to be honest with you, it was one of the first things I actually mentioned to the maternal child health nurse in my um, follow-up um, appointments. And then when I moved up to regional Victoria, so um, I'm on Yorta Yorta land up on the Murray River, um, 
again, I connected in with the Maternal Child Health Centre there and they had only just recommenced uh, their their program. So it was more about being proactive. And I think that's probably hard if you're not the sort of person that tends to put yourself out there. Um, but I would encourage all new parents um, to do so because it wasn't only a supportive network for me through that network, but it meant that my husband could meet um, husbands and partners who were on a similar journey. And um, quite often we we talk about the mother's mental health and absolutely from our perspective, it is the priority. But, um, you know, if your family unit isn't mentally healthy as well, then that can have ongoing consequences. So having that connection for him has been great too. And obviously moving to a new uh, region in Victoria, not knowing many people, it was a real saving grace. And so now, you know, like I said, almost two years on, I still see... Um, those parents, you know, weekly, fortnightly, we go out for monthly dinners. And so it's that constant checking in and touching base. So yeah, mostly through that, but also too, there are local government playgroups where you can connect in with in Victoria. Um, other ways that I sort of did it was through our local library, um, doing, attending like baby rhyme time or that sort of thing, meeting new parents that way. Um, and yeah, it sort of just helped build up that network of people experiencing similar things to me. That's so wonderful that you connected with the group and also for your husband as well. Um, that might be a good point to jump in, actually. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family as well, Alex? Yeah, of course. So uh, so like I said, um, so I'm Alex. I was a Metro Melbourne girl for 30-something years and then made the move up to uh, Yorta Yorta Land, so along the Murray River, um, with my husband and my baby Amber at four months. So that was a bit of a challenge, um, sort of moving away from our whole support networks, but my husband's work drew us to the region. So um, I wasn't working. We had the flexibility. So we thought, why not? Let's go. And we were so sick of Melbourne after being stuck inside for near on two years with COVID that we thought, why not give it a, a go? So I guess outside of work, um, I am a wife and I am a mother. And of course, I want to say that I'm so much more than that, but for the sake of our podcast um, and for your listeners' ears, obviously this is relevant. This is what we're talking about. So it relates to our mission. So I want to put that in the context there. So I guess about me, so I fondly refer to my firstborn actually as my German Shepherd, Loki. So um, he's he was our first baby. Our first human child was Amber. She was born at the height of the pandemic. So um, September, 2021, we'd gone through a fairly long and drawn out um, fertility process. It took us about two years um, to get pregnant with her. Um, we had a miscarriage along the way. And so um, that was all sort of experienced without the, I guess, the full on physical uh, support of our, our social network, but obviously um you know, you still were able to, I guess, be in touch with people, but it's sort of different, you know, being on the phone or um, over Zoom or whatever. And so, yeah, she was born during that time. And actually my experience during the pandemic of being a first time, I'm really catalyzed my interest in that perinatal mental health care and, and area. And so I actually did some research during that time, some Research with um, Dr. Levita D'Souza, who's also um, very heavily involved in researching uh, bed sharing, co-sleeping, safe sleep, that sort of thing. And so originally that was going to be my um, research area, but then we thought, no, we're in a really prime period here. Let's look at COVID and perinatal care. So um, that was sort of what drew me to this, this area, my own experience. 
so I guess about me too, my husband and I are about to welcome baby number two also in September. So there'll be about three weeks between Amber and the, the newborn baby. So busy September for us. Um, but being pregnant, I guess this time around has been totally different, more so than I had expected, um, however naively that was. Um, I guess that tiredness that you experience in the first sort of first trimester really was accompanied by all of the daycare sicknesses imaginable imaginable plus the broken sleep because Amber was sick um, which made for a really challenging couple of months so I guess the real difference for me in that time was not being able to stop and listen to my body because um, I had a little person who needed me um, and I couldn't just fall asleep on the couch like I was uh, with the first baby so it meant that I actually had to give myself permission to sleep when she was sleeping, not worry about the state of the house. Um, and I suppose, you know, whilst the circumstances have been different, I've probably enjoyed this pregnancy more. Yeah, I guess that's a little bit about me and my experience of having Amber and then, of course, contrasted with the experience of baby number two this time around. Yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. So were there any surprising or unexpected challenges you encountered as a new mum that you didn't anticipate? Yeah, definitely. So I really thought long and hard about this question because knowing the sort of person that I am, um, my personality, I sort of reflected back and I was super duper proactive with protecting my mental health during that perinatal period. So much so that I saw a psychologist for months leading up to having Amber and look, I don't know if, um, you know, obviously being a psychologist myself, whether it's sort of in the forefront of my mind, but I wanted to make sure that I was as mentally healthy as I could be coming into this, you know, new period of my life. Um, so I'm happy to share basically that throughout a lot of these, ex like these sessions, I really um, explored expectations on myself. Um, however unrealistic they were, I really wanted to uncover what was going on for me, um, explored my own experience about being parented and reflected on how that defined, how I then defined myself as what I expected to be a parent was going to be like, I suppose. Um, talked about what I wanted to be like as a parent, how I saw my husband being a parent and then putting a place in plan to actually manage what I anticipated was going to be a really challenging transition to motherhood for me. I'm very career driven. And I was very independent. And so I was worried that I wouldn't adjust well at all to being a mother. So I did everything I possibly could to prepare myself without overdoing it. Um, I, I was really worried, actually, because I've always defined myself. And I guess to a degree, my worth by my career and the work I do. So the removing of that aspect from my life as a new mother meant I really had to discover who I was outside of being this career-oriented person. I guess whilst I did anticipate it, I didn't anticipate just how hard that adjustment would be for me. And in effect, probably continues to be because for me, it's this constant struggle. I haven't really reconciled yet the two. I have, but I haven't. it's not a full reconciliation of the two people that I am, the mother and the career-driven person. It's a, like I want to be 100% of one. You know, like I either want to be 100% this career-driven person that I can throw everything at and I also want to be 100% a mother and I find constantly straddling the giving only part of myself to to both of those aspects of who I am to be, um, yeah, a real challenge. I think I think that's like a really common um, experience where it's that thing where you feel like you're doing everything subpar. 
Like yes. you're trying to be the best mum you can, but then you just can't, yeah, you can't do everything to the best of your ability at the same time. And I feel like that's a, that's sort of this sort of balance that mothers particularly, but fathers as well, and have to find. And I, yeah, I think a lot of us struggle with that. So yeah, that's a really good one to share. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how you can prepare, like I think that's such an interesting point you made that you can prepare so well and ultimately motherhood is such a journey that we just never know what's going to happen until we're there. And then um, it's so unexpected and full of, yeah, everything that can happen and change and the way we feel can always be different to how we expect. Exactly right. And I think it's like any key developmental stage in our life. Like you think about back to, you know, those angsty days of being a teenager and, you know, it's not too dissimilar that period of massive relational, emotional, hormonal, um, cognitive change. And that's exactly what we're experiencing as new mothers as well. Our whole being is being um, transformed. And so, like you said, whilst we can prepare ourselves and kind of expect it, it's really that lived experience that helps us to define what it is to be a mother and who we are during that time. All right, Bree, so now it's your turn. Um, we're going to ask you some questions. So can you introduce yourself and share a bit about your private and professional background if you're comfortable? Absolutely. Um, so my name is Bree. I live in Gerringong, which is on the south coast of New South Wales. I have two girls. One was born in 2020, which was, yeah, in the height of the pandemic. So that's like you were chatting about before, Ali, whilst I wasn't in Melbourne and I guess we were fortunate in that we had some less restrictions. Um, there were still some challenges, particularly with all my family interstate. Um, I guess I still missed out on that support network initially. Yeah, and then I've got a, had a second baby last year. So she is eight months old now. So two super different experiences being outside of COVID and I guess just being a first and a second and um, yeah, all those things as well professionally I am a physiotherapist so I uh, started working in the field in 2016 um, and did my postgraduate studies to I guess complete my training in women's health. So I guess reflecting on your experiences what were some of the most challenging aspects of the postnatal period for you and how did you navigate through them? One that I specifically wanted to chat about just because I guess I went into it thinking that it would be a breeze, but um, I just, yeah, I just had no idea what I didn't know. And I found breastfeeding really challenging at first. So I knew that it was something I really wanted to try. Um, But I, the cracked nipples, the sore nipples, I remember at night, like just hearing, you'd hear um, Sunny start crying again. And then it would just be that feeling of rather than being like, I get to feed my baby, it would be like, I don't know how I'm going to do this again. Like your nipples were already sore and it was hurting. And then, yeah, just, and even just sitting in there, I remember Alex coming in one night and I think I was just in tears on the chair trying to, and, you know, you get so frustrated being like, well, I've just, I've got to feed her. And yeah, it was, it was a lot. Um, But in saying that we worked through it and it was, yeah, in hindsight, it was only a few weeks. I think I did, did see lactation consultants in the hospital. Like I always ensured that they came in and I was really proactive in kind of buzzing the midwives and lactation consultants to help me with my latch when I was in there. But in hindsight, it probably would have been nice to try and find a private lactation consultant or something like that for once we got home. Um, but yeah, I also used kind of nipple balms and the hydrogel discs and things like that to help with the relief. And then, yeah, I think my nipples, like they just toughened up and we gradually got through mm. it, which is I guess not kind of the recommended advice, but 
that's where we were in the peak of COVID and we got there eventually. That's exactly what I did too, Brie. <laughs> so I guess like looking back, is there anything you wish you had known or done differently during your pregnancies or that postnatal period? And I suppose based on that, what sort of advice would you give to other, other mums based on those experiences? Absolutely. So I think in that first initial pregnancy um, and postpartum period, just that lack of support, particularly that face-to-face support and I guess having that person outside of um, my partner when I'm when I, he's at work and things like that to be like I just need five minutes or you know can kind of reflect on and get help with and even share experiences from people who have been through it before so I really struggled with a lack of support during my first um, postnatal period purely I guess because I didn't I didn't ask for the support but also just the geographical differences and COVID didn't allow for it but I knew that that was something I wanted to change for my second pregnancy, particularly that we were now able to. Um, And I really had a bit of a light bulb moment because I know um, I ended up inviting my partner's mum to, it was a bit tricky, my parents, just with the different jobs that we have. So it ended up, yeah, being my partner's mum and I invited her down to stay with us. And she, she actually ended up taking five weeks off work, took some long service leave and helped us out, which was incredible. Um, But it's one of those things that I guess, when I was talking to her and she said, Oh, I'm just so grateful that you invited me because I know you two normally like to be so independent and I never want to intrude. And I was like, here I am. I've been kind of sitting here for like two years with my toddler thinking, you know, Oh, people don't necessarily like come and off their own backs and support me and things like that. And on the other hand of it, they've all been thinking Bree's so independent and Alex is so independent. I don't want to you know, intrude on them. And so I think that was my mistake um, looking back. And I realized that I have to really reach out and actually ask for that support if I want it, because people just don't know what you want unless you ask for it. Absolutely. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there, that whole intrusion versus wanting to help. And we are a social animal, you know, I would go as far as to say that we're almost a bit like it's going to sound funny, but like elephants where the aunties and the daughters and everyone gather around and they are there to support the raising of that newborn elephant. And um, society has changed that for us. And, um, you know, coming back to the roots of who we are and, and what we need as human beings and having that support around us is so crucial to our social um, well-being, our me- mental health and well-being. So I've been guilty of it too, you know. I was like, well, where's my village? Why hasn't anybody, you know, come to help me? And um, and they're probably sitting there going, oh, you know, she's such an independent person, like I don't want to intrude. Um, very very similar to what you had, Brie, and I think that's a takeaway message for me for this next pregnancy is just ask for the help because yeah. if you need it, you need it, and there's no shame in asking for help either. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you aren't a good mother. It just means that you've exceeded your coping mechanisms and, hey, it'd be all right if I could get a chop out now, please. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I had a very similar experience as well where I'm just not very – I'm still not very good at it. I'm getting better, but for asking for help. And even from, like, my husband, I just wasn't very good at – um and I think I put a lot of pressure on myself because I think I'm, I'm a bit different to you guys in that I would define myself more from being a mother and my job. I've never defined myself by my job. I, I love my job and I've always really enjoyed what I do, but I've never had huge ambition ambition for like climbing ladders or going, going higher up in career-wise. I've just always wanted to do something I enjoy, but I put all the pressure on myself being um, in mothering. And so if I, you know, if I need help, that means I'm not, I wasn't doing a good job. I wasn't a good enough mother. And 
and I, I am sort of working through that and have and got better with each time. But yeah, I, I didn't ask for much help either. And it's like the smallest things, like you know, people are offering, and, and then I when I learned that I was like, oh, they could like take my baby for a walk in the pram, and I could have a nap. Like it was, I, it sounds so silly, but that took me a long time to, or just go have a shower, or you know, anything. Um, and so yeah, I think it is that thing where you need to ask for help and and be specific in what you want them to do because that's um, another thing with your second and third and however many children you end up having. I found with each one I've had this overwhelming guilt when for my firstborn, when my secondborn was came along because everyone goes, I'll take the toddler off your hands, I'll take the toddler, and they leave you with the baby. But then I, I missed my toddler who was my whole world for that, you know, you, well, she was only, she wasn't even two when my second was born, but so she was still a baby herself and she needed her mum too. And I found it really, oh, the, yeah, it was like a really overwhelming feeling being like, I'm failing her. I keep, you know, people keep taking her away from me. And then, so I had to find a balance there too, being like, well, sometimes maybe you could take the baby off my hands and I'll have some quality time with Evie. And then, yeah, but that was something that I wasn't expecting and mm. kind of hit me for six <laughs> when it happened. Um, I want to, just jump piggyback off that and talk about the specificity and asking for help because mm. it can be actually so overwhelming. Your cognitive load is almost a capacity being a first time mum or even any time mum, let's be mm. honest. You've got so much to think about. Um, and so it can actually be hard to identify what help it is that you actually need. And then of course, ask for it. Um, so one of the things that I would always advocate for is in those moments where you find yourself just, this is all too much just making a little note that, hey, wouldn't it be great if um, I could have help with blah, blah, and blah. And then when somebody does actually ask or you're prepared to reach out, you've got a little list um, to say, actually, it'd be really good if today you could help me with preparing some meals for the week or folding the washing or letting me have a sleep, whatever it is, just keeping a note of those things that are just causing you that ongoing concern. And writing it down because when somebody asks you and you're like, I don't know, there are so many things I don't know, but at least if you have a list, um, you know, in those quiet moments when you're breastfeeding, perhaps just popping a note in your phone or something like that um, so that you can reduce that cognitive load a little bit and then give yourself permission to say, hey, it's okay, I need some help. And we all can do better at that. Well, thank you so much. I think I was, yeah, that was a great episode and so nice to get to know everyone a little bit more. Yeah, thanks for sharing, guys. I really enjoyed hearing about those journeys. Mm, it was an absolute pleasure um, and very affirming that we all, one, um, have shared and different experiences and that's what makes this motherhood journey so beautiful and so unique and so worth supporting and empowering women during this time. Absolutely. Um, so that brings us to the end of today's episode. We want to express our gratitude to you, our wonderful listeners, for tuning in and being part of our community. We hope you found the information presented today helpful and insightful. If you're looking for evidence-based resources or support during your postpartum period, or perhaps you would like to contribute to the questions we ask our experts, we encourage you to check out our postpartum membership, where you'll find a wealth of information and a supportive community ready to assist you. Remember, you're not alone on this journey. This is The Mother Movement. <laughs>